Have you ever thought about how you could use your sexual energy to heal yourself on a physical and spiritual level? This week's podcast is about the ancient Egyptian technology of the Ankh. It is a sexual and energetic practice which enables you to heal yourself on all these levels. So to give you an overview of what this episode entails, I talk about what the Ankh is and why it's so potent for us. I give you a lesson on energy fields. I talk about the traditional practice of using the Ankh to heal yourself, which is through the human orgasm. And then I talk about a being who on this earthy earthly plane, her name was Nefertiti. She was a queen of ancient Egypt and everything about her is super mysterious and strange and she has become a spirit guide for me in my sexual healing and she's taught and shown me how I can use breath work and the activation of my internal lock systems called the bandhas to heal myself through using the ankh and I teach you how so I teach you how to use onking with the human orgasm and then also through breath work. I do want to quickly say thank you so much to everyone who shared their feedback with me about last week's episode. It was really, it was a fun one for me. So I'm glad you guys had fun listening. Um, The one with Mana. Anyways, I feel like I have to say this too, that sexual healing is, it can be a path deep into your inner darkness. And I say this often, we're not always meant to do this alone. Sometimes there are things that we must go at alone through our own darkness, but know that there is support out there. While I am not a sex coach or sex therapist or tantrika or anything like that, um, I am here for you. I recommend looking into resources of professionals in that sense. And if you, yeah, if you need someone to talk about with this as someone who is constantly in the trenches working on helping myself, yeah, no, I'm here. And I know it's hard. I know, I know, but what's hard is always most often worth it. So again, thank you for being here. Thank you for being willing to do the work and I hope you enjoy. You are listening to the School of Whispers podcast. I'm your host, Stephanie, and this is my space to get real open and weird about my life experiences as a psychic, medium, energy healer, and student of Chinese medicine. On the show, I'll be sharing my healing journey and the concepts I've learned along the way, and I'll be having guests on talking about the same sort of thing. I am so happy you're here, and I hope this show leaves you feeling inspired and empowered to learn how to listen to the whispers of your own body and spirit. Let's get into the show. Hello, hello. Welcome back or welcome. This was a topic that I, it's, there's so much, I I feel like Maybe I say this about every topic I cover, but there's so much to it that I felt a little bit intimidated. So I absolutely, I mean, if, I mean, in this podcast, I'm talking about the practice of onking and I talk about something relatively new, I think, um, that I've been doing that's ronking, uh, onking with breath work. And 
I just, I was trying to make notes. I was looking at a blog post that I was, that's super comprehensive that I wrote about it. And I was kind of just thinking, how am I going to reach the standard? How am I going to get it all in? And then my higher self said, Steph, slow down, tune in and do a little bit of onking. If you're going to talk about the practice, why would you jump into this without being in a state that's elevated thanks to this practice you'll be discussing? Am I making sense? (laughs) Maybe, maybe not. Well, anyways, let me, let me connect to you a little bit more. I hope that you have had a great week. I know that energy has been moving fast. This is, this is the Saturday two Saturdays before this podcast will be published. Um, So last week, it was my first week of school, but it was one of those weeks where in hindsight, looking back, I am not the same person I was when I entered this week. And it came about in this really subtle shift. You know, like some things happen and it's like, bam, one minute you're one person and the next minute you're not because that bam life thing that happened just completely changed life as you knew it. This change didn't come about like that. It came about more uh, and kind of like this compounding effect of um, doing a lot of work. About two weeks ago, maybe three weeks ago, when I got back from Italy, I felt a really strong call to kind of enter school again with my guides, ancestors, higher self, and with the element of the wind. <laughs> and it's funny because it's a it's a very still summer day and I'm looking outside my window and as I start to mention the energy of the wind, I see the tree outside my window starting to wave up and down, up and down. Yeah, there it goes. And then I and then it cools down and calms down again. So the wind is saying hi to you all. <laughs> but yeah, it was it wasn't that anything was going wrong. I just really knew that I needed to to listen again after a lot of weekends from like May of do, 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 do. I needed to just be. Last week though, after all this practice of being, I felt a lot of really heavy, I had a really awesome, awesome Sunday. And I, my friend Vanita, who will come on the show, Vanita, if you're listening, we got to get this scheduled. But uh, she read my she she studies Vedic astrology. So she read my chart and and I won't go into details about it. That may I'll say that for the show, but the things she saw on my chart really, really helped me overcome a lot of irrational fears that I've had about my life. It kind of it validated a lot of things and it also kind of I guess told help helped me realize that this this fear, this anxiety that has kind of been there all day, every day since I don't know how many years, but it kind of reminded me, hey, that fear is not a it's not a whisper. It's your ego just being irrational and like pipe the fuck down, ego, <laughs> calm down stuff. It's stop taking everything so seriously. So that was really wonderful. But then I entered Monday feeling like this heavy, low energy that 
and in like this need to have some sort of emotional explosion and it kind of just manifested in interpersonal conflict and um, this inability to sit alone with myself and this really strong desire to numb and I I mean I'm so glad that I made my way through it and by Wednesday that energy started to shift and I, I noticed that all my friends, we were kind of feeling that same just heaviness. And then we kind of all were able to finish off the week on a really high point. And yeah, I feel changed in such a great way. So hoping that I can bottle this energy in and send it out to you as we discuss this wonderful topic of onking. So I'm sure I'm going to, I gave you an overview of everything in the intro. So, and I have a bunch of notes in front of me, but I'm going to start with what is the onk? What is, what is that? And I, I know that, so when I did research on the onk, and I, I can't remember, I think it was in a YouTube video. It was some spiritual person on like some, oh, it was, it was Elizabeth April, who was really great. Uh, her stuff is, is, was really helpful in the beginning of all of my, I guess, all my psychic strangeness coming on live. She, all of her videos are super validating, but I know she's quite niche. But she did mention this in a podcast, uh, not a podcast, but in a YouTube video. And I felt inspired to look more and more into it. But it was just so, um, it was so esoteric and so fucking out there. And I have this pet peeve about spiritual writers who talk about things without any sort of background or definition. And these blog post writers on Anki would talk about all these, and I like all these vocab words, all these spiritual esoteric vocab words, and I had no fucking clue what they were. And I was just like, okay, no, 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 this, this, this ain't it. So I started to tune in myself and what I pulled from it um, is pretty new, I think. But anyways, and I will get there. But first, yeah, what is the Ankh? Well, you spell it A-N-K-H if you want to look up the image of it on Google. So it's like you create a cross and then you kind of chop off the head of the cross and instead of that straight line, it's a loop. So the top of that vertical, the upper vertical quadrant of the onk is a loop. The lower quadrants is there's a horizontal line and then the bottom end of the stick. Gosh, I really hope that gave you a good image. Maybe you really should just Google this. (laughs) Maybe pause, Google, take an image, take a look and you'll see it and be like, oh, so that's what that is. That's what that's called. And it's a an ancient Egyptian symbol. It was historically it was found in the tombs in the sar- sarcophagi, sarcophaguses, sarcoph yeah, sarcophagi of these pharaohs and pharaohesses and these um, kind of higher up um, tombs of people in ancient Egypt. And in a lot of the images there, it was usually typically the image of a god. And in my research, I've seen it's more of that, that avian 
looking being with the upper body of the the falcon and the lower body of a human, which is really funny in hindsight because in high school, we had this art project where we had to create our own sarcophagus. And I, I drew myself and I was holding a couple of things. And one, I think one of the things I was carrying was an onk. Have you no clue what that actually was? And then I was also carrying a falcon. And it gives me chills just thinking of that. And it was, yeah, I had no idea what I was doing. But yeah, in, in my research, it's the avian being God who is gifting the onk to the human. So there's a lot of discussion off of what it actually means. And I'm not going to claim myself. I am not an, I don't even know if there's such thing as an onk practitioner. I am by no means a professional at onking or at defining onking or um, ancient Egyptian hieroglyphics. I mean, please, if, if you think, <laughs> if you think I am, you're sort, you're going to be sorely disappointed. This is really just off of couple of hours in class being so bored (laughs) and researching all of this and then creating a blog post about it and of course doing my own deep inner work in meditation but anyways so what it I in my research I've come to understand that it represents it's a combination so the upper portion this this roundedness represents spirituality the kind of the etheric and then the lower portions with the straight lines represents earth it, I you know I always got to tie it back to the yin and the yang the upper part is the yang portion that that spiritual untangible energy and the lower half is the yin the more conceptual the earthly energy i also saw in my research that the ankh represents the perfect divine masculine and the divine feminine divine masculine up top divine feminine down below and i mean i think we could all agree that we anything any practice that's going to help balance out these energies within us is it feels good it feels right to dive into and so in terms of internet, internet history and information that's out there, the Ankh is very closely tied to the, the orgasm. But from what I understand, the Egyptians, they use this, this symbol represents a practice, a practice that is paired with the orgasm, which enhances your life force energy enhances your chi, your prana. And it helps in in terms of, again, my research, there's claims that it helps heal physical and spiritual disease, dis-ease. It helps create higher conscious states of higher consciousness. And it also helped them live longer. And, and I will get into kind of the mechanics as to why in a little bit here. But, oh, I had some, I, I felt a little flutter of something coming in. So, so by the way, before I started this podcast, I really kind of, I do have notes in front of me. I haven't quite looked at them yet. I really want to open myself up to 
whatever spirit, whatever source, my guides, ancestors, higher self want to come through. And when I was practicing the onking, not with the orgasm, but with breath work before doing this, I I really felt this, ooh, this like really juicy, strong, feminine presence step in. And when I was do- really deep into researching this about, eh, about a year ago, maybe eight, eight, 10 months ago, I was introduced to the energy that is Nefertiti and she was an extremely prominent ruler and religious and cultural icon for her time and so let me see let me grab the notes I have on her and pull them up and for those of you who are like wait hold on I thought we were learning about the Ankh here what does this have to do with some Egyptian queen well the whole reason I know how to work with the Ankh and to use breath work with it is through my meditations and my journeys with the energy of Nefertiti. Yeah, so what's there's so many crazy, strange things about her and her husband and how they just changed Egyptian culture as um, it was known. So they, they ruled in BC long before modern age. She actually, she live she her reign was kind of just before king tut so the thing about her and her husband was they completely changed the the culture the art and the religion of ancient egypt so first just to start what was so interesting is in all the artistic depictions of her and her husband who can't remember the name of him for the life of me but um, they were the same size in their art, uh, artistic depictions. And normally in the past, they, the king, the pharaoh, was always multiple si- sizes larger than anyone else in the artwork to represent his divinity and his rank above everyone else who's depicted. And they were the same size. And also she, she's just in all these temples she's depicted as a warrior as a feminine goddess she was actually considered a a, an incarnated goddess of fertility but yeah they were the same size and that in itself plus other evidence showed that she was considered a co-ruler she wasn't the king's consort the king's wife she was a co-ruler of ancient egypt with him which was very new and this was a time when Egypt was at its kind of one of some of its peaks of wealth and so her influence and her power was massive but also what was interesting is in all these depictions of them they're with their family they're with all their daughters and there was intimacy in these images and sometimes they would be kissing in the images and what that did is it put family at the center of Egyptian culture and something that was also really interesting about these artistic depictions is they pulled Egyptian art away from the sort this sort of rudimentary simplistic depiction of a human body they had their bodies depicted with curves and sort of these thin elongated necks and hips and even the men kind of had hips and breasts um they had sort of these these distended bellies they had these interestingly enough these slit eyes these 
nasolabial wrinkles and sort of like ear holes. And then the children, and as well as, um, I'm not sure if the king was depicted as this, but I know the children and Nefertiti herself, they were depicted with these inflated egg-shaped heads. And I, I mean, if you look at these pictures, they they look alien, not gonna lie. And Nefertiti herself, completely unique to her, is depicted with this long sort of conical headpiece that um, with, has an ankh on it. But nobody else in Egyptian history that I know of has this sort of same headpiece that she wears. So, and I'll, I'll, I'm going to start to tie this all together. Um, but another really fascinating thing about their culture is when she and her husband took the throne. Well, he I think he took it before they married. But anyways, that's not really relevant here. But when they, what they did is after a few years of their reign, they shifted the religion from polytheistic religion of about 2000 different deities the the ram the the hawk the the dog man whatever to worshiping one god called at i'm going to say aten it might be aten or aton i'm not sure I might be butchering that but yeah to a monotheistic religion and the aten represented was represented by the sun. So the Aten became the center of their worship. And they stressed that Aten was the only God to be worshipped. And again, this is ancient times, long before Judaism. This was a time where the concept of monotheism was considered radical. And all other gods up to this point were anthropomorphic, meaning they had some sort of animal or human sort of shape to it. But Aten was depicted as a disc with rays. One could say the sun. One could say maybe something else, something else that represented by a disc. And at the end of the rays were these extensions of little tiny hands that were kind of caressing the skin of Nefertiti and her her husband, the, the two rulers of this time. And they claimed that this sun disc was responsible for all creation and that it gave specific instructions to these divine rulers that is Nefertiti and her husband. Which is interesting how, the, I don't know how, I, I wish there was more information out there and how they got these specific instructions. But another thing about this god Aten, they received the instructions from this god to shift worship away from these isolated, darkened temples to being out in the open air, out in the sunlight with food and celebration, which was, again, entirely foreign and new to ancient Egypt. And in one of the temple depictions, there's only Nefertiti, and she was the primary officiant before for Aten. And this pissed off a lot of people. It wasn't normal for a woman to be at so close to the gods or to the god. She and her husband, they, they referred to themselves as priestesses, uh, as a priest and a priestess, and they changed their names to include um, loved or in, I think like in the eye of Aten or something like that. So all of this is, I, I mean... 
I'm not going to get much, much further into this, but I'm hoping you're drawing your own conclusions, possibly similar, similar to mine. Um, but this is where things start to get real interesting, if, if it isn't interesting enough already. So Nefertiti, there is, I mean, there is records of her husband's family, the, um, the marriage, like they keep, they kept records and all her children, there's records of who they married and all that stuff and why, how she's related to King Tut. But, um, there was no record of where Nefertiti was born or of her parents. They have no idea. And soon after it was kind of, I think they reigned for about 15 years and towards the end, there's, there's just, it's like Nefertiti disappears from all the artistic depictions. And nobody can agree what happened to her. They can't agree if she died. Some of them think that she changed her name and ruled alone as a female king before King Tut became ruler. But then there's evidence that discredits that. And they're, they're, long story short, they don't know where the hell she went. <laughs> they, they don't have any tomb of for her they don't know where her body is but she is very a very strong influence in king tut's tombs as well as the tombs of her husband and whatnot so where my mind wants to go and when i think about how nefertiti was introduced to me it began with a dream and and then it it just continued every time when i take a bath my bathtub's like a portal and she would enter my meditations and she would help me in so many ways and we would journey together and and she was and before I did all this deep dive into her she she helped me heal and on so many levels especially on like my own femininity and my own sexuality and I I wonder what happened to her what who was who was she actually was she this regular human with just all these lost records or was she some sort of non-human being did she die or did she ascend i i don't know and i i love that it's such a mystery to me because it makes my mind go in all these directions and it just kind of deepens this fascination and relationship that i've built with her by doing the work she feels good. She's got a lot to teach me. And let's get back into the onk, shall we? <laughs> All right. Tangent over. Back to it. Reel it in stuff. All right. I kind of covered the history here. That was a fun little dive into the history. And before we do get into the the fun, the juicy stuff about the orgasm and how you can bring this practice home with you, I want to give you a quick little lesson on energy fields. So if you haven't heard the podcast before or kind of skipped around and haven't heard this, uh, since January 22, when I did ayahuasca, so at the very end of ayahuasca, I asked for the gift of sight, the gift to see people's energy, to see their field and to, to, to notice where they are carrying blockages or high vibrational energy to just understand people better from this sort of perspective. And so through this practice, as well as through research in my esoteric uh, acupuncture textbook, I've learned that a balanced energy field kind of fits around you like a loose glove, kind of has equal kind of distribution around your 
the the upper chakras, your crown and third eye and throat kind of wraps around. I'm kind of making like a bit of an egg shape around me. And then it opens out a little bit more again towards your lower lower chakra centers. It kind of looks like a almost like a perfect hourglass without that cinched tiny uh, middle kind of stays wide but there is this expansion a bit up top and down below but again it's equal it's like a um, like almost like an infinity pattern and and when I see people from the side when I see somebody who's very balanced and by balanced I mean is doesn't really have stagnation or energetic blocks and has a great practice of physical and spiritual health giving to their human, knowing their human, as well as knowing and giving to their higher consciousness. But anyways, so it, it kind of looks like from the side, if somebody has nice flowing heart energy, it kind of looks like the Ankh. So it kind of has that looping around look. And the colors, the colors, I mean, it's different for everyone. It's interesting too, because it's different with what activity you're in. For example, Dr. Adamson, my my mentor, he's an acupuncturist, he's my professor and all of this. He's a heal energy healer. When he's at school and I check out his chakra, he's got, well, actually, every time I see him, we're in some sort of mode of healing. I guess maybe when we're sitting out talking, just like shooting the shit, I see different colors. But when he's in healing healer mode, he's got a lot more blues and greens in his auric field. And so it depends on what's going on in your life, what activities you're doing, but you have colors and it's typically colors of the rainbow within your field and then some of them will be stronger than others. So when somebody's energy field is out of balance, I mean, it looks different for all of us. However, what I've come to realize is when your lowest chakra centers are blocked, and I'm talking about your root and your sacrum, so your hip and your kind of genital lower spine chakras are blocked, it's going to create a cascading chain reaction of blockage throughout the rest of your field. And while that is kind of common, I think, I feel like in this day and age, the most common thing that I see are heart blocks. But I'm going to get into that in just a little bit. But first, I want to talk a little bit more about these, this, this cascade of lower um, chakra centers being blocked. And I know this this was unblocking these centers was the beginning of my journey. Absolutely 110%. That was the beginning. But what I see typically in the quote unquote um, stagnated or unbalanced energy field is the energy that is in the higher chakras, it doesn't it wraps around the upper body but it doesn't really have an, a wide arc over the head it's a little bit close it's a little bit more of that tight fitting glove and it's a little bit closer towards your field and then and then if if there are um throat blocks heart blocks I'll, it almost looks like to me like swords kind of like big shards blocking and cutting off the colors of the field and if there's an entity, which is a whole different story, well, actually, no, it's part of this story. But if, if there's an entity, what I'll see is something within your field that is cutting off the colors of your field, and then it has its own little aura, it has its own little colors. And then so as we move down below the lower chakras of this unbalanced field, 
it's like it's almost I think of a pear shape so it's thinner on top and then it widens out towards the bottom but it's not because these chakra centers are well developed it's because there's stagnation and the colors they don't look as clean and pure I don't really know how to describe it but it almost looks a little bit uh, dirty is not the right word maybe muddy um foggy just not unclear there's and i'm not gonna i don't want to say unclean because just because you have blocks doesn't mean you're dirty and you're undesirable and you're unclean that's no not at all like we we've all had we all have our shit we all have our blocks there is no hierarchy if you if you are truly truly on the spiritual path and you feel and you've worked on receiving healing healing yourself and maybe you are a healer towards others then ideally by now you have shaken off the bullshit thought of there being a hierarchy of spiritual people that the those who are unclean or asleep or low vibe are on the bottom of the the tier and then those who are gurus and healers and awake had this clean bright white field are like up top where god no that is hierarchy is to- a totally ego egotistical and e- is of the ego hierarchies are of the ego anyways what I'm getting to is, and as I mentioned before, that clear field, that balanced field, it looks like an ankh. And I believe that if you can tap into this practice, then you can actually tap into clearing out your own stuck energy that is stuck down below. And that's the goal. The goal is for all energy to flow from the bottom to the top, nice, and then from the top to the bottom, very easily, a beautiful flow. So putting all of this into practice, well, first I want to tell you something really cool. And I learned this in the Emotion Code book by Dr. Bradley Nelson. So the Japanese, real talk, the Japanese measured the electromagnetic field, the energetic field of the heart. And with some people, it goes out as far as 18 feet how amazing. It's like, and that's, that's how, like, when you have, you talk about like an open-hearted person, if you believe in, and even it actually, if you believe in energy or not, if you are just somebody who can feel the subtle things in life, I guess has more empathic qualities or a little bit more um, tuned into that, you, you feel that when somebody enters a room with an open heart, either you you feel it or you can hear it in their voice that that heart field is just extending and out and it it and it can change a room it it can it can help change like we talk about energy healers right like you know doing all the, the reiki and with me and the qigong and the blah 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 like people can be energy healers without even realizing it and you can be one just by having an open heart and yes Living life with an open heart can feel at times vulnerable and scary. And what typically happens is as we live our life, we experience little, almost like little betrayals of the heart. Either we feel too much, we feel not enough, somebody says or does something that kind of breaks our heart or steals a piece of our heart or we give a piece of our heart away or we put it into hiding and then we build these heart blocks. And so typically what I see when somebody has a heart block, I, I ask them to stand 
um, from the side and it feels like there's a sheet, not a sheet, maybe like a, like a door or like a glass plane that is just completely cutting off their heart from ex- their heart energy to heart chakra from extending off of their body. And again, know that as I mentioned before, you're not especially fucked up if, if you have this. This is something I really very commonly see and it life happens. It's it in a weird way it's normal. It's normal for people to have this. However, being sick is also normal for humans. Avoiding connection, unfortunately, has become a normal thing um, among humans. So while things are quote unquote normal, doesn't mean we necessarily want to stay in that state. If anything, I think the the conscious, open-hearted person who's willing to see their own shit, that is a little bit more rare um, in the in the human race here. So know that while it can feel vulnerable and scary to live life with an open heart, living life with a closed, blocked heart keeps you from reaching your full potential on so many levels. While you're listening this with me, I recommend that you set an intention right now to open your heart field. Actually, let's do a little bit of a practice together. Go ahead, if you're, as the old caveat, if you're driving... You, you can do this, but uh, I kind of recommend that maybe you just listen and do this later. If you're not driving, take a moment, close your eyes and just feel into your heart space. If you want, you can even hover a hand, not on your heart, hover it over your heart field. You might feel a little bit of warmth. You might feel a little bit of a, a wave. If you're thinking, Steph, no, I don't feel energy. Maybe you want to rub your hands together like you're trying to start a fire with your hands and then you're going to pull your hands apart and feel that tingling, buzzing awareness and then bring it over your heart field. You might feel a little bit of that heavy magnetic pull. Even if you have a blocked blocked heart field, you still have a heart field. So to give a moment, give yourself a moment to tune into that. Visualize the textures the colors. Notice what comes to mind here as you're tuning into your heart field. Breathe into it. Notice where your heart field is going. Is it going straight out? Is it not really expanding out? Is it moving up? Just, you don't have to have a, there's no right answer here. Just what, what intuitively comes to mind when I ask the question, where is your heart field going? Once you start to get the hang of this, this feeling, the texture of your heart field, use your inner eye to visualize bending the field of your heart. So that instead of either extending up or out, it's wrapping above your head and down, entering your back through your mid spine, your thoracic spine, which is the space between your shoulder blades. So you're pushing your heart energy out, up, down and around, out, up, down and around, creating this arc above your head, through your spine, above your head, through your spine. 
So that is kind of the step one of learning how to onk. Because I know from experience that if you're in the middle of an orgasm or a breath work, which I will teach you later, I'll teach you both. But it's, I mean, starting the practice of bending your heart field is not easy. And you're, all your senses are going haywire when you're orgasming. So yeah, practice now. Just visualize the bend. And you might be thinking stuff. I mean, what does that have? What does visualization have to do with energy and revitalization and um, healing myself? It has everything to do with it. Your imagination is so much more powerful than you think it is. The quote unquote placebo effect is more than just tricking your body, tricking your mind. It is the power of suggestion. It is the power of belief. It is the power of visualization. So get that in your head. Maybe that's step one. That's step like 1.5 or 0.5. That's before you hit step one, you have to believe. You have to believe that you have a strong grip on your own energy field. You have a strong influence on this here. All right, so onking and the orgasm. So in Chinese medicine, in Chinese philosophy, our lower two chakra centers, which are sex centers. Have you ever, I don't know if, I've only recently heard the phrase here, but healing energy is, sec, wait, was it? Sexual energy is healing energy, something like that. So your lower two chakra centers in Chinese philosophy is known as your dantian. And I've talked about this before, and I'm going to say it again. Your dantian is like one of your most potent centers of your chi, your prana, your life force energy. And if you've done this practice with me on the podcast before, do it again with me. This is your first time. This is a fun one. So we're going to bring, so your dantian is kind of between L2, L3, which is your lumbar spine, lumbar your um your second and third lumbar vertebra easy way to figure that out is kind of figuring out where your the top of your hip bone resides so that kind of um when you like move around your waist that's the top of your hip bone and you're going to find your belly button is kind of right in line with that so it's kind of just around that area and then below before you hit your pubic bone so yeah guess what we have a pubic bone it's that hard bone that it that's below your bladder and this is where things get a little bit x-rated <laughs> i'm going to be saying penis vagina orgasm sex all that good stuff so uh, yeah i mean none of my family listens to the podcast let's get real so I'm going to be very free here with this. All right. So go ahead and hover your hand below your belly button and above your pubic bone. And you might feel again that that heat, that warmth, that magnetic energy, that waveform. And if you allow your hand to just soften against it, don't have a tight hand, soft hand, and then allow almost like open yourself up to allowing energy to push against your hand. Your dantian, whenever I feel people's dantian and I'm with the intention of feeling the dantian, you you feel that that energy kind of whooshing off of you, kind of pushing your hand out. So with your hands hovering at your dantian, know that this is where your sexual healing energy, your life force energy begins. It's like a reservoir of chi. And it can you can move it 
all around your body, up and down and around. And that's why onking is is a thing because ancient Egyptians realized that, wow, there's a lot of potent energy here. And if we can use it and harness it to our benefit, then we can change. We can change something here and create some magic. So this is where this onking practice begins. I'm going to walk you through an orgasm here. (laughs) All right. You're either with your partner or you're alone and you're starting to use these, you know, touch to get yourself excited to build some sexual energy. I recommend that you go slow because as you begin this, I want you to really pay attention to the almost like the spark that igniting of energy from your sex center from your vagina or your penis so imagine that energy starting to whirl around and starting to build and allow it so typically in a normal orgasm that energy moves up and up through your solar plexus your belly up through your heart up through your throat typically that's something came up my throat. Um, so typically that's when we start to have that, that, that verbal expression of the orgasm here as the energy moves up your throat to your third eye and you feel that pressure building up and up your face and your head gets really hot and you feel that pressure and then bam, you hit your climax and you send that energy up and out through your crown. Whether you're aware of it or not, that's how you are moving your orgasmic energy up and out. And there is nothing wrong with doing that, with not um, doing the practice of the ankh, which again, I'll explain soon. Hang in there, my friends. Um, But yeah, there's nothing wrong with doing that. That, you know, just by having an orgasm that's free of shame or numbing or disassociation or self-disdain and instead having one that's that's an embodiment of full expression of presence right then and there and also setting an intention can be super potent right then and there. It can help move stagnant blocks. It can open up your psychic gifts of clairvoyance or clairaudience. You can hear messages from source or see things. And what I like to do is actually, and this is kind of related, but not really, but yeah, yeah, no. But I mean, I like to sometimes use orgasms to manifest things. I'll As I begin, I'll think about what is something that I want to manifest in my life. And it's kind of funny because when I first learned about this, I was kind of just fucking around um, like with the idea of manifestation. And I was like, oh, is this real? Then I'm going to use an orgasm to manifest a new car because I my my car, I do a lot of um, I drive a lot, a lot of long distances, whether it's for clients or to drive home and it. My car was pretty old at that point, so it was kind of making me nervous. I was like, yeah, I'm going to use this orgasm now to manifest a car. So as I was building up and up, when I felt that orgasmic energy hit my third eye, I visualized this new car, how it was going to feel, how it was going to happen, and I wasn't going to pay much for it at all. And bam, I sent it out into the universe. And I kid you not... Two and a half weeks later, my mom calls me. She's like, Steph, I want you to give your sister your car and I will help you buy a new one. And you could just, you and Mama can just slowly pay me off. Crazy, huh? 
But yeah, anyway, so I mean, that's, yeah, that's a whole manifestation through orgasm is, is, I mean, it's part of the subject, but it's also kind of a side tangent. So the orgasm with onking. So again, you start at your sex center and it builds up, but you stop. You do not allow that energy to move up and out through your crown. You ask it or you create the intention of keeping it around your heart center and you continue to build up that orgasm and and by the way you're not the goal is not to come and finish the don't go straight towards that maximal pleasure zone you want to be tantric with it and tantra really is just the is, is uh I'm blanking a little bit on the, it was a, this sexologist, um, authentic sex podcast with Juliet Allen. She defined it. Tantra is just like the, the pleasure of pure sensation. So you can have a tantric life just by sitting down and being with your food and enjoying the sensation of the textures in your mouth and the tastes and, and all that good stuff. Like Tantra isn't always only something that is applied to sex but in this case yes it is (laughs) but be tantric with it feel the pure sensations go slow with yourself really tune in ground down and and call upon your guides ancestors and higher yourself fuck it go all in here and then you want to keep that energy around your heart And then when you feel yourself hitting climax, that's when you kind of allow that energy to kind of explode out of your field and then draw it up and around, up and around. So draw it up over your higher chakra centers and then pull it back and give that sexual energy back to yourself. If you can really allow yourself to flow into your sexual energy without shame without guilt, without, with, with this intention of, and, and hopefully moving past any traumatic energies or blocks, either alone with a therapist, with an energy healer, whoever you trust, if you can release those blocks in whatever way possible and really tap into your pure, unapologetic, shame-free, potent sexual energy, your whole life will change. I get chills saying that because I know there's so many of us who have been traumatized on this and disempowered on a sexual level, whether it's in this life or in past lives. And I know it's hard. I do know. And it's scary. Um, but I've said this before on the podcast and I'll say it again. The fear of the thing that you are trying to avoid is so much worse and scarier and bigger than the actual thing itself. If you can overcome your fear and if you can move through that pain, that block, it's worth it. It's worth it. It's hard and it's worth it. And actually saying that right now, I, I want to give almost like a warning, a really strong, strong statement here. 
that you must choose your sexual partners wisely. This is a practice that should be taken seriously, that should, um, you should be aware of the gravity of it. If you're, because things happen, you can get downloads, you can hear things, see past lives, maybe release a traumatic memory or just straight up start bawling, crying. And it's like any expectation of what you think this might be, just let go of that because when you're working with things of the spiritual sense, especially of this um, this sexual energy, you really got to open yourself up to anything happening and surrender to any any control to source, to spirit, to God, goddess. If you're with somebody who you do not feel comfortable letting go with or who might shame you or kind of look at you like, what the fuck are you doing? That may create a whole new trauma in itself or further contribute to any blockages, stagnate energetic stagnation or any traumas that are already blocked there. So please be very cognizant of who you are sharing your sexual energy with, whether you are onking or whether you are not. And if you listen to last week's podcast, kind of Mana and I's our um, discussion of divine masculine feminine energy, there is this misconception, or maybe not misconception, there is, there has been this, um, this energy the sexual energy in our modern society that that in order to be worthy or competent or seen as sexy and general point blank we need to give that energy away but i mean i know we all hear this a lot and i mean confidence is sexy and what does confidence mean confident me confidence means that you trust yourself you know yourself you cannot be confident you'll, you'll be fake confident but real confidence comes from a deep knowing and love and respect and trust of yourself so i mean maybe before if you're hearing all of this and you're kind of like wait where do I begin? Maybe begin there. Begin with your self-confidence. Begin with your practice of sexual energy. Notice, are you, am I giving, giving, giving it out, projecting it out all the time? And ask yourself, how can I give to myself here? And maybe it begins with your sexual partners or maybe it begins even more basic with how you sit with yourself in a sexual way, how you touch yourself, how you give to yourself, how you know yourself. Damn, I promise you, promise, 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 the moment you start harnessing your sexual energy, your true sexual energy, oh, everything changes. It really, really does. It's, It's pretty fucking awesome. All right, so spent the whole... Basically, the whole time span of my usual allotted time for myself um, in this podcast, talking about onking with the orgasm and sexual energy. But now I want to transition, and it's probably going to be a little bit longer than usual. Um, thank you for staying with me if you have so far. But I want to transition into something entirely new that I've learned from tuning in with Nefertiti, with my guides, with my own Dantian. And that is onking through breath work. 
And as a quick disclaimer, this is something that I, I, uh, well, I don't know what what word to use anymore because I think every <laughs> overused spiritual word kind of gets under people's skin sometimes. So I don't know if I should call it channeled, downloaded, learned. Yeah, I'm gonna say learned. This is something that I've learned by tuning in. And when it comes to all of these things, and as I spoke about Nefertiti earlier. All of this is is on a take it or leave it level. If you are hearing this and you're kind of thinking, eh, stuff, I don't know about this. I don't uh, I just can't agree with you. Or you try it out and you're like, oh, this girl's full of shit. <laughs> um, I mean, that's okay. Take what resonates, leave what doesn't. If you if you fully disagree with me, I will not take any offense at all. This is my truth, and I know that we, a lot of us, energetically are different fingers of the same palm. It's like we, I mean, we all come from the the big big source altogether, but it's almost like source has all these limbs reaching out, and from these limbs comes a palm with this sort of shared energy, this resonant energy resonating energy and from that resonating energy comes out little expressions of it that are us these people so i know that there will be people who hear this and there it's a full body yes and then there are people who hear this that don't really get it um and i know those of you who are with me here listening you we are we do come from a very similar palm together and i'm so I can feel you y'all with me and it's very easy to I, I'm sure it's very easy for you to to receive my energy and it's because we're all just resonating at this similar vibrational frequency. But anyways, yeah, that's my little tangent there. It's, it's take it or leave it. I take no offense. It's your prerogative to honor and own your own intuition. Moving on. So the the breath work that I use, it's I, I do I do two breath works and they're kind of on the intensive level. <laughs> I remember when uh, I always I always mention my podcast with Brett because I, it was it was just such a fun time together. But right before Miss Lady Brett and I started recording our podcast episode together, I was like, let's do some breath work, and I started doing this intensive breath work, and <laughs> she stopped and was just like. Uh, why the fuck would anyone find that comforting? <laughs> uh, so some people, this breath work, yeah, it might not work for you. I do know that there is a bit of a warning when it comes to the two breath works, which is one is kind of, it's like this alkalizing breath work. It's kind of based off of the Wim Hof method. And the other is the Bastrika breath of fire. And there is a bit of a kind of that, that traditional warning that if you are pregnant or if you have hypertension, these breathworks are not for you. But that being said, use your intuition, use your discernment on how you want to do this here. But yeah, I'm gonna. This is how I do it. This is how I've learned it. So that's how. Um, that's what I'm gonna share with you. So, um, to what's really important with these breathworks is one, you're breathing into your whole body. You are using your chest and your belly, your diaphragm. You are using, you're filling up your lungs to a very strong capacity, especially with the, the Wim Hof breath work. 
and and then you are letting it all go as Wim Hof likes to say fully in let it go fully in let it go and so that's number one that's most important number two what's um, very important is the hold the space when you stop all the breath work all the big inhales and exhales and all the <laughs> that comes with the bastrika breath of fire it's that space where you stop and you hold so what i like to do is i stop with an exhale and i hold 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 and i have no uh, and I don't know, I, I honestly, I can't remember right now if when you're really supposed to activate your lock systems, which I'll mention in a moment, but I don't hold any lock systems. I let everything go and I sense and I feel and I repeat, I am here, I am here, I'll call upon my guides, answers and higher self and I'll really, really focus all my internal awareness at my Dantian, at my sex center, my, my lowest two chakras. And I give to myself here. I give and I, I allow myself to build this Dantian sensation. And sometimes I bring my hands there as well. So and then, and then the next hold, which is really where a lot of the magic happens, is that inhale all the way. And by the way, as, as you're holding that exhale, you're not waiting until you're like seeing sparks in front of your face and there's all this pressure in your head and you feel like you're going to pass out and it's building a pressure, building a pressure. You're not waiting until that moment. It's kind of that moment where first you kind of shrug off that first initial reaction of when are we going to inhale? Are we going to inhale in yet? You shrug off that one and you allow yourself to sink a little bit deeper. And then when you feel, hmm, I feel, I think if I hold this for 10 more seconds, I will start to have way too much pressure inside of me and start to get a little dizzy. That's when you inhale in. So you're not really waiting for like an intense resistance sort of feeling. You're, you're going right before that moment. So then you pull it all in and then this is where I get into the third most important thing is understanding the lock system in your body. So you pull in all this air and I am squeezing, well, well, in, according to yoga tradition, there are three main lock systems in the body. One is around your lowest area, your the lowest part of your spine, your root. Then the next is kind of your mid spine or your abdomen. And the last is around your cervical spine, your throat. And yeah, in this practice specifically, I'm squeezing those lower two lock systems I mentioned. And they are the mula bandha, which is your your kind of your genital locks. In a Western sense, you can view them as sphincters. So it's almost like that sensation of when you are in a sexual setting, when you first touch yourself or you're thinking about or you're thinking about sex or when you're orgasming, it's kind of like that pulling in, that little pulling in of your, your genitals, like pulling in that energy. Or another way to think about it is like when you have to pee or you have to, or you have to poop <laughs> and you don't want to go just now, this moment, and you're kind of pulling, you're like kind of like willing <laughs> your excrement. Oh, who, if someone told me I'd be recording a podcast talking about sex and poop within three minutes of each other, I would say, you're out of your mind. I'm not doing this. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you're, 
you're pulling, you're feeling those lower sphincters of your anus and your, I guess your urethra pulling in. That is your mula bandha. And then next is your uddiyana bandha, which is your stomach lock. So what that feels like is for me, like I'm drawing all my attention and awareness towards my belly button. And then it's almost like if somebody pulled a drawstring, I think of like a hoodie when you pull the, sh- the drawstring and it, everything gets really pulled and sucked in towards the center. So someone, when they pull the drawstring of my belly, I feel like a, a tightening and sh- lifting up of my abdominal lock. And what it looks like is as if you're hollowing out your abdomen. If you Google Nolly, N-A-U, L-I, that is what the abdomen looks like when you're really squeezing that Uriana Banda. Really quick, I'm not going to get deep into it. I'm just going to mention here, the third Banda is called the Jalandara Banda, and it's the Banda of your throat. But again, it's not necessary here to squeeze it because you're moving energy to your heart, not all the way up to your crown. So if you squeeze that throat lock, you'll continue to move that energy up and enable it to rise up and out, where in the onking practice, you want to hold it right at your heart. So back to the onking practice, my awareness is at my Uriana Banda, that stomach lock. So as I'm squeezing, 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 I'm also being aware of feeling that energy start to move up my from my sex center up towards my my abdomen and then I hold it at my heart I continue to squeeze and and sometimes I'm, I'm like sick of the holding holding the squeeze and I just focus at my heart focus at your heart focus at your heart and when I feel myself starting to almost like I'm imploding that's when I allow my energy to move out and around out and around out and around and I, I, I'm practicing onking there. And I will release that inhale and I will continue to practice that onk, that sensation. And then I'm, I'm using visualization. I'm visualizing myself living my best life. I am healthy. I'm vital. I have rosy cheeks, strong body, clear eyes. I'm calling in abundance and manifesting new opportunities and creating my reality, reality on this quantum level. All of this being said, as you can tell, just by explaining it, things get complicated. This practice can get complicated. So I do encourage you to keep it simple at the start. In the show notes, I will include several several resources, and I, I feel like maybe I mentioned this earlier, maybe I didn't, but there are two videos that I posted to my Instagram that talk about these lock systems, their benefits, as well as drills on how to engage them. I do want to leave you with one drill that you can do, and that is to engage your uniata, Uriana Banda, your abdominal lock. And that's by getting into a wall chair. So pressing your back against the wall, lowering down so your hips are either just about in line with your knees or in line. Basically, you're in a squat pressing up against the wall. And you're doing exactly what I mentioned earlier. You're pressing your spine against the wall and picturing as if there's a drawstring at your belly button. So you're feeling all your abdominals start to squeeze towards center. And then you draw your abdomen tight towards the wall and you're creating that lock engagement 
Another resource that's in the show notes is a blog post I wrote on onking. I go through these steps, step by step, especially towards the end, if you want to skip all the history and the discussion that I basically just gave you now. But if I could just quickly, quickly summarize the steps on how to onk with your breath. Step one, practice the visualization of moving your heart energy out and around. Step two, learn how to connect with your internal lock systems, your bandhas. Step three, practice squeezing these locks first individually, then together. Step four, practice the bastrika and practice the Wim Hof breathing. This breath work is intense. It'll energize your body. It'll activate your, your circulatory system, your respiratory system, your nervous system. And it can get difficult. When I first started this breath work, I had no idea what onking was. I was just practicing it because it helped, it helped really cleanse me on a whole new level I hadn't felt before. Then what are we? Step six, step five. Yeah. 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 Step five, adding it all together. And what does that look like? So I might be sounding like a broken record here, but I really want to make sure that I'm being as clear and cohesive and that you have something that you can, a practice that you can bring home with you when you leave the the realm of this podcast here. So putting it all together, the practice begins with breath. You can choose to do the alkalizing breath or if you Google Wim Hof, that works. Or you can choose to do the breath of fire. I typically do the breath of fire. I recommend around 20 to 35, maybe 40 breaths. Not 40 if you're new to it. But at this point, honestly, I don't I don't really count. I kind of just intuitively know when it's time. And as I mentioned before, when you've reached that last bit of breathing, you exhale all the way out and you hold and this is where you connect to your dantian, your lower two chakras, your sex center. And just by bringing your inner awareness there, you're activating that energy. When it's time to inhale, and as I mentioned before, you're not waiting till you're sputtering and choking on your, your lack of breath. You, yeah, you pull all your air in and you hold. And as you feel your energy rise with this hold, begin to squeeze your locks. You can hold uh, again, the lower two locks. You can hold this squeeze or you can create kind of like a rhythmic pulsing rhythm. So squeezing, let go, squeezing, let go. It's really at the, this point, make it intuitive on which, which one you choose. And as you do this, visualize moving your energy up your belly and to your heart. Inner awareness at your heart, you feel your heart chakra activate. And as this energy builds, this is where you practice your ankh. You visualize pushing your energy out and up over your crown and pulling it back between your shoulder blades. Out, up, and around. Up, and around. Up, and around. When you feel like it's time to exhale, and as I described before, again, you're not waiting until you're red in the face and about to pass out. You exhale out. And you can, you can continue to visualize your ankh or you can just sense and feel. I am not going to get into what this should feel like because it is entirely uniquely up to you. If you are hearing this and you are feeling inspired and maybe still like you need a little bit more support, 
I I'm considering doing a a separate podcast kind of like I did with the meditation podcast doing just like a separate episode of walking you through this practice and we'll we'll do it together the breath work and the visualization so if that's what you think you need please reach out to me and let me know so that I know it's it's worth my time to do because while I really do want to do it I I need to be I've got my hands in a lot of baskets with school and clients and the podcast. Um, So please, please, please reach out and let me know. Something that I should and I always will mention when I share my own personal practice. This is the practice that works for me. I think the most important, I I think I say that a lot, (laughs) the most important thing, but throw everything else out that I just said about the most important thing and listen to this one. The most important thing is that you're grounded down and you are listening to your intuition. If your intuition is telling you not, you're starting, you're squeezing your lock systems on the exhale and you're practicing the onking on the exhale, then do that. If your intuition is telling you not, this breath work is not for you, I don't feel all right with it, we need to simplify, we need to slow down, then listen to that. I do not know what's best for you. You know what's best for you. Nobody else in this world knows what's best for you more than you do. So honor that. Honor that. And don't underestimate the mere sensation of this practice. Don't underestimate what spirit can bring you and what you're accessing within your energy on this level. There's always a time and place for manifestation and there's always a time and place for just simple surrender and receiving and that's maybe that can be also an act of simplifying that you can bring into this practice in the beginning rather than you know doing all of this and visualizing yourself on a quantum level changing things maybe just set the intention of just surrendering to what this practice can give you and or bring you and just opening yourself up On a final note, this breathwork bastrika comes from the lineage of Kundalini. Kundalini is an intense, it's a yoga that is, it's a yoga asana, so it's a, or it's also a breathwork practice, but it's a physical and breath breathing spiritual practice that just as onking, we should not take like lightly. It can release repressed traumas and memories. And and I tell you this from personal experience. When I was practicing Bastrika, the breath of fire, really, really intensively, I was also in therapy. I was, and I had a lot of tools under my belt. And it, the Bastrika, it, one day it brought me a memory, a repressed trauma that was always kind of in the back of my head and then all of a sudden I'm doing this breath work and I'm holding I'm holding and I let go and it's like I'm given this full picture of what was actually happening and it fucked me up so grateful I was in therapy at the time so grateful I had a strong support system and I'm so grateful that I just I I, I tend to just my soul likes to tackle things head on it, it, I don't really have the ability to run and hide from myself <laughs> my whole life my soul has not never really allowed that to a certain level and I, I just have to face myself and because of all of that I was able to move through that and granted it took months it took months of figuring this out so th- this might happen 
this might happen. So sometimes we are equipped and willing to do this alone. And sometimes we need extra support. There are Kundalini yoga studios out there. If they're called ashrams. So maybe you want to find a practitioner who resonates. Maybe you do want to jump into therapy while you jump into this practice. And, and there's also energy healers and spiritual teachers and shamans who can help support you. While I've really, I've, I'm so blessed with this ability to heal myself, my own energy in so many ways, I've also learned that it, there is nothing wrong with reaching out for help and removing deep blocks that I wasn't equipped nor ready to heal alone. For me, it's been about finding balance, working internally with my guides, my ancestors, my higher self, my internal wisdom and knowing and my connection with the Akashic records, the cloud source, whatever you want to call it. And then while also, and this has been a huge thing for me learning in this life, is opening myself up to receiving help externally from others, from healers that I trust. And for me, what's been the green flag is those who are here to give me knowledge and information so that I can empower myself. And the red flag would be people who withhold information, who kind of want me coming back again and again and again to, I guess, I don't know, to support their business model. But that's that's not the way, in my opinion, of a healer with integrity and true alignment. In my sessions, I'm really big on empowerment, on enabling my clients to be able to listen to the calls themselves. So again, while I'm, I'm not a professional in this, this sexual arts and all these things, I'm not a tantrika or anything like that, I know that I have an ability to empower others to look within, whether it's through channeled readings or through energy healing or especially where I see the biggest change is through esoteric acupuncture protocols specifically golden needle and the two dragons and at the end of the day yes we are not meant to do this alone and we are meant to at a certain level just let go of all external voices and opinions and knowledge and give space to our own internal knowledge, our own intuition. That to me is the most valuable tool that you could ever have in your belt, the most valuable ability you could ever, ever, ever develop in your life. The ability to listen to yourself and to hear what wisdom your body, your mind, your emotions, your soul, your your people on the other side have to give for you. <sighs> I think at this point I am talking in circles about empowerment and all that good stuff. If you feel the call to work with me, if you want to talk a little bit more about all of this stuff, um, just on like a level of two people who are just in the trenches doing the work, you can find my Instagram and my TikTok in the show notes. I'm under the name Steve. <laughs> um, you could also find, actually on TikTok, I think it's School of Whispers 1121 or something. But again, you can find that in the show notes. And you can also check out my services, read my blog posts, all that good stuff 
on my website, www.schoolofwhispers.com. Thank you so much for being here. If this show resonated with you, please consider taking some time to leave me a five-star review. Maybe just click the button. Maybe you want to type something out. That would be pretty sick. And or maybe you want to share this with a loved one and spread the knowledge of sexual healing because it sounds like a broken record but if we can heal ourselves from this sexual level and release shame from these lower chakra centers we will become unstoppable and i know and there's some entities and energies out there who fear that and it's okay it's okay to have that fear and and to have lived your life with that fear but now it's time to let it go now that you have the knowledge it's too much you know too much now to look away and to turn your back on this source within you all right i'll be feeling your energy next week